Welcome to Stop Christian Nationalism, a podcast that aims to do what its title says. It's time to stop Christian nationalism before it destroys American democracy. Now, people have the right to believe what they want and to say what they want. Unfortunately, Christian nationalists go far beyond that. Christian nationalism is a political religion that centers around the belief that the United States is a Christian nation. Confronted with the obvious fact that the United States is not a Christian nation, but a secular democracy with a pluralistic culture. Christian nationalists seek to impose their fantasy, to use tactics of intimidation and authoritarianism to force everybody in the United States to behave as if they are Christian, even though many of us are not. Christianity is a shrinking religion in the United States. Fewer Americans attend Christian churches every year. Four out of ten Americans identify themselves as non-Christian. Increasing cultural diversity in the United States is driving Christian nationalists into a full panic, leading them to pursue acts of public political violence like the insurrection of January 6th, 2021. Stop Christian nationalism is not seeking to do away with Christianity. This podcast is determined to keep speaking out, however, until the mobs and militias of Christian nationalists on the streets and in the halls of government are no longer a menace. This week in the news, in Texas, a meeting of the Conservative Political Action Committee was ground zero in the Christian nationalist takeover of the Republican Party. Over and over again, prominent Republican politicians took to the stage to express their loyalty to the Christian nationalist agenda. Prime among these politicians was Donald Trump, who announced his support for the Christian nationalist takeover of America's public schools. Ex-President Trump declared that public school teachers are Marxists who must be replaced with Christian preachers who will teach the Bible and force students to pray to Jesus. As we take power out of Washington, we also need to take power back from the left-wing lunatics who are indoctrinating our youth. We have to finally and completely smash the radical left's corrupt education establishment. The current system is sick. It's sick. School prayer is banned, but drag shows are allowed to permeate the whole place. It's okay. You can't teach the Bible, but you can teach children that America is evil and that men are able to get pregnant. Whatever it takes, conservatives must liberate America's children from the captivity of these Marxist teachers' unions. That's what they are. Where do they come from? Donald Trump was preceded by 
Dan Patrick, the lieutenant governor of Texas, who gave a speech declaring that the Constitution of the United States was written by no one other than the Christian God. What I want to focus on is where we are as a nation of believers. You know, there's a poll out back in June, the Gallup um, Company, they're great pollsters. They did a poll, 95% of conservatives believe in God. Okay, 95%. 72% of Democrats believe in God. Only 67% of liberals believe in God. And sadly, only 60-some percent of young people believe in God. We were a nation founded upon not the words of our founders, but the words of God, because he wrote the Constitution. He empowered them. We were a Christian state, and we've been blessed because of that for so many years. A fact check of this claim isn't difficult. Large numbers of witnesses have confirmed that human beings and not invisible spirits wrote the Constitution. No gods were seen in attendance at the Constitutional Convention. Still, Lieutenant Governor Patrick didn't stop there. Lieutenant Governor Patrick demanded that secular democracy in America be replaced with a Christian theocracy in which the Christian God is allowed to ride the United States of America as if it's a motorcycle. We know as believers, the Bible's promised, and I believe every promise that Jesus made in the New Testament, I believe the words of the Old Testament, that it does not ensure a smooth road ahead. It does not assure of a trajectory that takes us to the top. But we do know where we're going. And if we're in God's plan and he's in charge and his hands are leading that motorcycle down the path, then we're on the right path. For the record, no God has ever actually showed up in the United States to request to be granted control of the federal government. The only people demanding Christian control of the government have been human Christians who claim to have spoken in private to their God and received assurances that the God really wants them to be granted power in his name. No actual God has given a public statement to this effect. Nonetheless, Dan Patrick continued his speech at CPAC, threatening the beginning of a religious war in the United States. Christian nationalists, Patrick warned, are ready for battle. You know, Scripture says, the horse is made ready for battle, but the victory is the Lord's. But we have to be ready for battle. We have to be ready for the fight. Because we are not in a fight any longer of Republicans and Democrats of the old days. We're in a fight of lightness and darkness. We're in a fight of powers and principalities. If it seems outrageous that the lieutenant governor of the state of Texas is calling for a religious civil war of Christians against non-Christians, take a minute to consider Dan Patrick's point of view. He believes that he has no choice as a Christian but to engage in violence against Democrats because the Democratic Party is more than just different from the Republican Party. 
No, Lieutenant Governor Patrick suggests that the Democrats have actually become agents of the powers of darkness. Pay special attention to Patrick's use of the phrase powers and principalities. The phrase powers and principalities is a code used within Christian nationalist circles to refer to the belief that the human political opponents of Christian nationalism are actually part of a supernatural conspiracy, that they are literally in league with demons and evil spirits. The powers and principalities include both human opponents of Christianity and the demons, witches, ghosts, ghouls, and other monsters that are their secret allies and masters. For Christian nationalists, this is not a metaphorical idea. The Christian writer Sandra Hammer-Smith explains, quote, Principalities and powers in the Bible are levels of demons or the presence of demonic activity. These beings are real, and their primary goal is to kill, injure, worry, destroy, vex, harass, irritate, confuse, frustrate, and bother humans. Unquote. She continues, quote, Witches really exist. There are people who communicate with the dead, that are possessed by spirits. So, what we used to think was a bunch of hocus-pocus has legitimate backgrounds in some respect. Demonic spirits can camouflage themselves. Unquote. Now, if it sounds insane to people who live with a scientific understanding of the world, yeah, I get that. But Dan Patrick, the lieutenant governor of Texas, just announced that he believes in these powers and principalities, that the Democrats are in a supernatural conspiracy with evil spirits. It's crazy, but it happened right there in public on the stage at CPAC with the cameras rolling. And as if this wasn't severe enough, Dan Patrick then took his Christian nationalist sermon a step further. He declared that, as a leader within the Republican Party and lieutenant governor of Texas, he no longer considers non-Christian Americans to be his people. Instead, he announced that from now on in American politics, it's Christians against everybody else. You know, Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people, who are called by my name... Now, let's break that down. Who are his people? I used to think once upon a time his people were all Americans. So it's not all Americans. Who are his people? If my people, who are called by my name... Those are Christians he's talking about. If my people will humble themselves and pray, turn their face to me, asked for forgiveness and promised to turn from their wickedness and asked me to heal their land. I will hear them from heaven. I will forgive them for their sins and I will heal their land. We're all God's people. 
But I take God at his word. He said, if you will do these things, I will heal your land. We need a God healing in this country in 2022 and 24. How did the audience of Republican Party activists react when they heard this? They cheered. They, along with Dan Patrick, have declared that this year's elections for Congress and state government positions, along with the presidential election in 2024, are part of a Christian crusade, a campaign to force the Christian nationalist agenda on everyone else in America. Dan Patrick's speech was just one example of the rampant Christian nationalism heard at the CPAC conference in Texas this week. Next week, we will hear more about the Republican Party push for theocracy at that event. But for now, let's turn our attention to a new statewide outbreak of Christian nationalism. Christian nationalist animosity to freedom of speech and freedom of the press erupted in Michigan this week where public libraries have become their latest target. You may remember that in Nazi Germany, the right-wing dictatorship established authoritarian control in part by going after books and the people who wrote them and the people who shared them. Any author who expressed liberal ideas was targeted by Adolf Hitler's nationalists as disloyal to the fatherland. Their books were burned in the streets in rituals of ideological destruction. And I know we would like to think that this kind of anti-intellectual authoritarian movement could never happen here in the United States, but this week, Christian nationalists in Michigan followed the Nazi example, targeting books and the libraries that host them. Across the state, Christian groups have been demanding the censorship of books that fail to conform to their right-wing religious ideology. Now, with Election Day taking place this week, Christian nationalists in Michigan have begun to shut libraries down under the idea that it's better for people to have no access to books at all than for Christians to have to deal with any challenges to their power. So do all Christians in Michigan agree with these attacks against public libraries? Well, of course not. However, Christian nationalists are claiming to speak on behalf of all Christians in Michigan, supposing that their extremist voices represent all of their neighbors. This spring, the director of the Dickinson County Public Library was forced to quit after she was harassed by members of local Christian churches who accused her of having sex with children. Now, let's pay attention to the facts. There have been actually zero accusations by any children or any families against that librarian. Instead, Dickinson County Christian nationalists simply assumed that the library director was gay because there were books in the Dickinson County Library that discussed LGBTQ plus themes. And their Christian nationalist reasoning was if the library director was gay, well, she must also be a pedophile. This person is not a pedophile. 
There's no evidence of that whatsoever. There's never been an accusation of that. But the Christian nationalists have been unforgiving in suggesting that this is the case. So, Christian nationalist theology posits that gay people are automatically pedophiles. But it's actually, if you look at the news, the leaders of Christian churches across the United States and in fact across the world who have been caught engaging in sexual attacks against children. Now, in Michigan's, Michigan's Ottawa County, in the Jamestown Township, Christian nationalists have closed another public library down because that library contained a small number of books that did not comply with Christian nationalist ideology. Christian nationalists from the Jamestown Conservatives organized a campaign to remove funding for the public library, and this week, the Christian nationalist proposal was approved. And so, early next year, in early 2023, the Patmos Public Library will close down. That same library, by the way, has plenty of Christian books, including Christian Bibles available to town residents. Now, the Christian Bible, if you read it, contains lots of sex scenes, including violent rape and incest. The Christian Bible also contains scenes of horrible violence, including the smashing of babies against rocks and the murder of entire cities full of people in the name of the Christian God. Nobody in Jamestown Township, Michigan, ever attempted to censor those child-unfriendly Christian books. Censorship appears to be an exclusively Christian nationalist thing to do. Amanda Ensing, one of the Christian nationalists in Jamestown Township who organized the campaign to close down the public library there, announced to a reporter that, quote, it's not a political issue, it's a biblical issue, unquote. Attacking libraries is a biblical issue. In America, public laws are not supposed to discriminate against people on the basis of religion. The First Amendment to the Constitution is supposed to protect American government from abusive religious power, but under the influence of Christian nationalist control of the U.S. Supreme Court, protection from government establishment of religion is now widely being dismantled. So, in Dickinson County, Michigan... Christian nationalists are expanding their attacks against the library in a move reminiscent of Nazi censorship campaigns. Citizens there are now demanding that the library stop putting books by Jewish authors on its shelves. No books by Jewish authors for the Christian nationalists in Dickinson County, Michigan. Ponder that. Elsewhere, Christian nationalists, you'll hear, are fond of excusing their extreme plans to overthrow American democracy by claiming that they are only engaging in this treason because they have no other choice. 
They claim that uh, by gum, by golly, they simply have no other alternative but to institute a religious dictatorship in America because it's the only way that good, old-fashioned, wholesome, traditional Christian values can be restored. Now, careful listeners will pick up on the creepy undertone of those arguments right away. They'll ask themselves, in what world exactly is destroying democracy and replacing it with a totalitarian regime run by religious leaders wholesome? For the most part, though, people take it for granted that right-wing Christianity resents, uh, represents simple, old-fashioned, traditional, normal, moral values. The kind of ideas that make everybody feel comfortable and safe. They're supposed to come from an American past, when everybody was just plain nice to each other. Now, this is a mythology. A mythology of a golden past of sweet and gentle traditional Christian America that's depicted with a kind of misty nostalgia. And that mist is strategic. It's there in order to obscure an unnerving truth. Look past the veneer of normality, and you'll discover that the traditions of Christianity in America are often really weird and not at all kind and gentle. I want to make it clear that I don't see anything inherently wrong with people being weird. Being weird is just fine with me, so long as it doesn't involve hurting other people. So I'm not opposed to Christian nationalism because it's weird. I'm opposed to Christian nationalism because it's a sadistic ideology. If Christian nationalists were merely bizarre and didn't seek to attack American freedoms or control other people's lives, I wouldn't have a problem with them. Unfortunately, that's not the case. Christian nationalists claim that their religion is the very definition of morality, and then they turn around and use that claim to justify horrible acts of brutal domination of other people. Ironically, Christian nationalists' blind faith in the normality of their Christianity leads them to engage in flamboyantly bizarre behavior. That's what happened, for example, when David Duke began his campaign to defend American Christianity by proclaiming himself to be, quote, the Grand Wizard of the Knights of the Ku Klux Klan, unquote. <laughs> so much for Christian normality. This Grand Wizard, in an order of knights, has the audacity to call LGBTQ parents weird? Once you start looking for weird behavior from Christian nationalists, you'll find it all over the place. You'll find it, for example, in the halls of the United States Congress. Earlier this year, U.S. Representative Kathy McMorris Rogers, who sits in the House of Representatives for the 5th District in the state of Washington, introduced a piece of legislation called HRES 874. What is that? HRES 874 
is a congressional resolution that would provide official federal government support to the designation of a National Year of Humiliation. The full title of the resolution is HRES 874, Supporting the Designation of a National Year of Humiliation, Fasting, and Prayer. Well, the legislation, if you read it, is a crazy quilt of scraps of Christian nationalist ideology taken from here and there, stitched together into an outlandish and nearly unreadable text. This resolution claims that no other nation on earth besides the United States has a coherent basis for providing people with legal rights. The resolution states, quote, most countries in the world claim the rule of law and have written constitutions. Many use the language of rights and equality and declare for human dignity, but none have a coherent basis for doing so, unquote. Well, where's that coming from? Let's read further. The resolution next asserts that, quote, America is different because God endowed us with rights, whereas that belief is either true or it is false. If it is false, then we Americans among all mankind are most to be pitied. The experiment must fail. It cannot and must not succeed. Unquote. This is supposed to be a coherent basis for legal rights in the United States? Let's try to sort out what this convoluted language is really trying to say. Point one, it's trying to say that America is different because the Christian God gave Americans legal rights. Point two, the resolution is saying that the Christian God gave Americans legal rights but that this might be true or it might not be true. Okay. Point three. If Americans came together and worked on an agreement for legal rights for themselves, that's pitiable and doomed to failure, according to this resolution. Furthermore, according to this resolution, any um, agreement among Americans about what their own legal rights should be that should not be allowed. This resolution calling for a national year of humiliation actually declares that democracy is pitiable, that people coming together to arrange for their own legal rights must not succeed, that the experiment of American democracy must fail. This part of the resolution is actually arguing against democracy. And it's saying that democracy is an awful idea for people to even try to set up amongst themselves. But here's the thing. 
This is a resolution that's been submitted as a piece of legislation to the Congress of the United States of America, which is a body of human beings dedicated to establishing and implementing the legal rights of American citizens. There are no gods serving in the United States Congress. The United States Congress is the very thing that U.S. Representative Kathy McMorris Rogers says must not be allowed to succeed. Well, if U.S. Representative Kathy McMorris Rogers, the author of this resolution, to officially designate a year of humiliation across the United States, truly believes that people must not be allowed to establish frameworks of legal rights for themselves without the intervention of gods, then why is she working in Congress at all? Why has she written and submitted this resolution to Congress at all? Why doesn't she just prey on it? Representative McMorris Rogers proposes that instead of having human beings work on legislation, people should just let the Christian God take care of it all. In fact, she proposes that the Christian God already has done that, already has established the system of legal rights in America. Well, if that's the case, how come legal rights in America have changed over time? The Christian God is supposed to be all-powerful and all-knowing. So, why would the Christian God deny women the right to vote in the USA of the 1700s, but then change his mind and grant women that right in the USA of the 1900s? How could an all-knowing God change his mind on that issue? Did the Christian God change his divine mind, really? Or did the all-powerful Christian God not have enough power to make this original framework of legal rights work? Did human beings outmaneuver a clumsy and weak Christian God to change the framework of legal rights while the God wasn't looking? What is there in this idea of a magical spirit creating legal rights with supernatural spells and ancient Bible wizardry that's supposed to be coherent? It just doesn't make any sense. The resolution to create a national year of humiliation continues, though, on its erratic path, free from all logic. At one point, the resolution declares that Americans are just plain terrible people. I'm not kidding you. This Christian nationalist resolution declares that Americans are awful people. It says, quote, we confess that we are self-consumed, prideful, and unloving people. The resolution reads, it's, it's strange, isn't it? Because Christian nationalists claim to love America, but this resolution absolutely detests America. It states, quote, we confess we are a self-consumed, prideful, and unloving people, unquote. Halfway through, this resolution then lurches to offer the following clause as a justification of a year-long national pursuit of ritual humiliation. Here's what it says. Quote, 
Whereas George Washington Carver, born a slave during the Civil War, testified in 1921 in front of the House Ways and Means Committee, expounding on a myriad of ingenious uses for the peanut transforming the economy and which had been revealed to him by faith as he regularly walked through the woods at 4 o'clock a.m. Unquote. Okay, that is a whereas clause, which is supposed to be offered as a reason to have the active clause take part. The active clause being the establishment of a national year of humiliation. So, I'm trying to understand this. George Washington Carver testified that he used to walk at night and came up with many uses of peanuts. What does that have to do with Congress establishing a national year of humiliation? I don't get it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I respect George Washington Carver. I like peanuts. A walk in the woods is nice. But none of these things is a reason to have a nationwide, government-established, ritual year of humiliation. You may be wondering at this point what this freaky, incoherent piece of legislation has to do with Christian nationalism. I get that. Because HRES 874 is an unhinged word salad that reads as if it was written by someone who had too much whiskey to drink before they sat down to write it. And I urge you to read through the entire legislation yourself to get a kind of holistic sense of its bizarre language. But for now, let me cut to the chase. At the end of its text, HRES 874 finally gets to the point and explains that what the National Year of Humiliation is all about is a year-long religious ritual of Christian nationalism, with all Americans encouraged by the United States federal government to surrender their independence and liberty to the power of the Christian God. The resolution urges Americans to read the Christian Bible and engage in official federal government rituals of Christian worship to, quote, commit to reading his word daily and praying together weekly for our nation, unquote. The legislation resolves that the United States House of Representatives officially, quote, expresses our support for proclaiming a year of national humiliation, fasting and prayer. Praise that in this hour of our great need, our sovereign God will come, humbles ourselves, prays, seeks God's face, turns from our wicked ways and thanks and praises the God of our ancestors, calls upon the people of our nation to humble ourselves before our creator and acknowledge our complete dependence on him, unquote. This national year of humiliation proposed by the Christian nationalists is supposed to be a nationwide religious celebration of the tenets of Christian nationalism. That's what it's about. The resolution would have the federal government 
guide Americans through sacred Christian texts and conduct repeated nationwide rituals of Christian worship all centered around the mythological belief that invisible spirits from the ancient Middle East somehow used magic powers to fly across the Atlantic Ocean and write the Constitution of the United States and that the human beings gathered together for the Constitutional Convention had nothing to do with it. Remember what Dan Patrick said in his Christian Nationalist speech? Yeah, we're hearing an echo of it here. This is a consistent piece of Christian Nationalist ideology. But at the end of it all, what are we supposed to get out of this unprecedented, year-long, spiritual orgy of Christian Nationalism? We're supposed to feel humiliation. That is the goal of this resolution, and that is the goal of Christian nationalism, to humiliate America, because George Washington Carver was created with peanuts in the middle of the night or something. I swear I'm not making this up. That's actually what H. Res. 874 says. Now, you know, I don't feel like I'm going out on a limb when I say that HRES 874, this congressional resolution to create a national year of humiliation, is weird. Like I said before, I'm okay with weird. Weird is good. What I'm not okay with is people saying that the actual legal rights written down in the Constitution don't matter because there's this divine spirit who never actually shows his face anywhere that is actually the secret author of America's freedoms and therefore anything Christians want to do with the power of government is a-okay. I'm not okay with that. I sincerely believe that Americans have the constitutionally protected freedom to write down whatever young adult fantasy novel stories they want. If they want to write down novels pretending that ancient mythological creatures have come to the United States and written the Constitution, I don't think anyone should interfere with that. It's fiction. But actually attempting to pass national legislation in the United States Congress to establish an official federal government endorsement of that kind of fantasy novel plot of myth and magic? That's going too far for me. I recognize the legal right of Kathy McMorris Rogers as an elected representative of the people of Eastern Washington State to introduce any kind of crazy legislation she wants to. She's elected to do that. She could write legislation declaring that the federal government believes in fairies and unicorns. For the Congress to pass such legislation into law, however, would not only be foolish and irresponsible, but crossing that threshold would be downright unconstitutional. It would be an insult, not only to our intelligence, but to our democracy. The first words of the First Amendment to the Constitution of the United States of America are very clear. They say, quote, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, unquote, 
That means what it says. Congress cannot make any law about the establishment of religion, period. Resolutions to establish a year-long religious festival of Christian nationalism sponsored by the U.S. federal government are plainly laws respecting an establishment of religion. There's no reasonable way to read the First Amendment and conclude otherwise, to conclude that this is okay, that this is constitutional. But Christian nationalists, unfortunately, don't care much about reason, thinking clearly. They don't care about the Constitution of the United States of America. They believe that they are following an invisible ancient desert spirit who makes all of the human work of democracy irrelevant. They believe that religion is more powerful than liberty, that Christianity is more important than freedom. In their minds, all of American law boils down to just one principle. Never written down anywhere at all, but imagined constantly in their fevered imagination. That Christians get to do whatever the heck they want to do, regardless of the law, regardless of the Constitution, and everybody else has no choice but to submit to them. Because invisible spirits have more rights than flesh and blood human beings. That's how the Christian nationalists see it. Now, people can pretend that's not what Christian nationalism is all about, but a document like H. Res. 874, this resolution to create a national year of humiliation, makes the truth pretty plain. Christian nationalists are ignorant of American history and disconnected from reality. I sincerely urge Christian nationalists like U.S. Representative Kathy McMorris Rogers to follow their faith to its logical conclusion. Don't go halfway. If you really believe that there is an ancient, magical, invisible desert spirit from the Middle East that secretly controls everything, including the entire system of American law and the U.S. federal government, then act like that's what you believe. Don't pretend that you have more power than your God. Follow its commands to live a life of prayer and let that God take charge. Leave politics to your God, will you? Quit Congress and the Supreme Court. Go home and be like the lilies of the field who don't worry about anything. They just pray all day. Go ahead, Christian nationalists. Live your faith. Trust your God. Just pray and leave the rest of us alone. Please. That's what you would do if you really believed what you said you believe. Instead, you don't. We're getting a Christian nationalist congressional resolution to establish a national year of humiliation because you don't believe what you say you believe. You know what's really unnerving about all of this is that Kathy McMorris Rogers is not alone in the halls of Congress. When she brought her resolution declaring that there should be a federally sponsored national religious festival of humiliation that lasts an entire year because peanuts... 
There were other members of the U.S. House of Representatives who agreed with her. They thought it was a brilliant idea. I wish this was not true, but 15 members of Congress decided that this National Year of Humiliation was a great idea. And they signed their names to HRES 874 as official co-sponsors. <laughs> they ought to feel humiliated that they did such a ridiculous thing, but apparently they are beyond shame. The names of these Christian nationalist members of Congress, every single one of them a Republican, are Vicki Hartzler of Missouri, Marionette Miller Meeks of Iowa, John Joyce of Pennsylvania, Larry Buckshawn of Indiana, Mark Wayne Mullen of Oklahoma, David McKinley of West Virginia, Louis Gohmert of Texas, Yvette Harrell of New Mexico, Diana Harshbarger of Tennessee, Bill Johnson of Ohio, Adrian Smith of Nebraska, Brian Babin of Texas, John Moulinar of Michigan, Debbie Lesko of Arizona, and Virginia Fox of North Carolina. Now, you know, I'm aware of what Christian apologists might say in response to this criticism of the resolution to create an official government-sponsored religious year of humiliation. They might say, I am misunderstanding the Christian language of humiliation and what it all means in a theological context. And they'll say that humiliation in Christian theology is really about the cultivation of humility, which is a positive personality characteristic. You know, I understand where that response is coming from. But that concept of humility is all about the meek acceptance that the Christian God holds all of the power, all of the worthiness, and that we, as mere human beings, are nothing, are worthless in comparison. In the context of Christian nationalism, that sort of humility isn't at all healthy. It's about the accumulation of power through the denigration of human beings. As a general principle, when Christian nationalists talk about what their God wants, they're really talking about what they want. When Christian nationalists talk about giving power over to their God, what they're really talking about is giving power over to Christian leaders. After all, the Christian God never shows up. Christian nationalist leaders repeatedly seek to undermine the power of people to manage their own lives on their own terms through systems like democracy. That's what Representative Kathy McMorris Rogers does in the text of HRES 874 when she talks about how people must not be allowed to advocate for their own legal rights. Christian nationalists aim to destroy American democracy and replace it with a Christian theocracy. And under this Christian theocracy, it won't be any God who's in charge. No, it will be very human and not at all humble Christian leaders who will seize control. 
when Christian nationalists talk about humiliating an entire nation full of people, we ought to be very concerned. The humiliation that they are seeking is one that exalts Christianity and human Christian leaders over everything else, over everybody else, placing individual liberty on its altar as a sacrifice. So here's the real news about HRES 874. This National Year of Humiliation resolution floating around Congress, supported by 16 Christian nationalists, that's out there, but nobody has thought to, or nobody has had the ability to report on this. It's not in any of the newspapers. It's not on cable television. It's not even on Facebook. Nobody has written about this especially ripe piece of Christian nationalism. Nobody has spoken about it until right now. Journalists in America don't have the institutional bandwidth that they used to have. Newspapers have shrunk down to nearly nothing or they've outright disappeared. This is a sad truth, but we cannot count on reporters to find and share stories about Christian nationalism. That doesn't mean that the stories aren't out there, but at the end of every episode of this podcast, Stop Christian Nationalism, I want to share opportunities for us to take action because it's not enough for us to hate what's going on, to fear the loss of American democracy. Um, this is a time when it's up to us to stand up and do something about it. And when it comes to telling the story of what Christian nationalism is doing in America, nobody else is going to do this work for us. It's up to us to do the legwork. So this is something that you can take action on. Christian nationalists are becoming more and more bold. They're saying terrible things out loud, things that they have been whispering about for years. But now they believe that they're untouchable and they can say it out loud. On the stage at CPAC, they can say it in legislation in the U.S. Congress. That makes this an especially important time to document what Christian nationalists are up to. You can do this. You can be part of this effort. You can look through political candidates' websites. You can search through the congressional record. It's online. You can look at the official records of state legislatures. That's available to you. You are guaranteed, if you look, to find quite a bit of Christian nationalist material going on. Because Christian nationalism is spreading throughout the American political system unchecked. It doesn't have to be unchecked. Christian nationalist politicians are seeking to make expressions of Christian nationalism so pervasive that they begin to seem like a normal part of how things work in the American political system. They're purposefully working to bolster a key element of Christian nationalist power something called Christian normativity. Okay, Christian normativity is the perception that Christianity is the default 
for all judgments of what is and what is not culturally normal. It's not necessary for something to be based in an objective reality or rational thought to be perceived as normal. Instead, normativity is a subjective judgment that typical people in culture do or believe a particular thing. It's the subjective judgment of what normal is. And Christian nationalism is centered around belief in Christian normativity. When Christian nationalists proclaim that the United States is a Christian nation, they are speaking on two levels. And on one level, they're asserting a legal claim that Christian power is the primary legal principle in the United States, taking precedent over all secular laws, including the Constitution. At another level, they are making a separate claim that practicing the religion of Christianity is the normal way of being an American, to the extent that anyone who is not a Christian can be judged as abnormal. The argument for Christian normativity is based upon the false belief that, once upon a time, everybody in the United States was Christian. And this, this has never been true. <clears throat> there have always been significant non-Christian elements in American society, though they've always been marginalized and oppressed by Christians. Christian nationalists want people to believe that the current state of cultural pluralism in the United States, with Christianity just being one of many religions and existing alongside a substantial number of non-religious citizens, is a historical anomaly. They want people to believe that real Americans are by definition Christian Americans, and that non-Christians are by definition weird. Yeah, but think about some of the weird things you've heard in this podcast. Those weren't non-Christians. The implicit argument within Christian normativity is that if most Americans believe in Christianity, then Christianity must not be weird. This kind of logical fallacy is an example of the kind of sloppy thinking that good parents try to teach their children to be aware of at an early age. Parables like the emperor's new clothes provide cautionary advice to families that value critical thinking. The fact that everybody seems to believe in something that is clearly absurd is not a good excuse to join in that belief. If you notice that the emperor is walking around naked, that is worth paying attention to, even if everyone around you is behaving as if the emperor is fully clothed. Christian communities, however, tend to teach children to distrust their own perceptions, preaching theological ideas that suppose that the senses are tools of demons that seek to turn people away from the truth. Christian children are taught to embody the ideal of faith, the belief in extraordinary religious ideas despite the lack of any evidence for them. Christian churches and Christian schools produce young Americans who believe that there is virtue in believing what the majority of their community members believe, and that to question the beliefs of the majority is morally wicked. So, 
Christian normativity isn't just one of the many ideological structures that support Christian power. It's the central pole that holds up the tent of Christian belief. Christian nationalists are obsessed with the idea that their religion is by definition normal, no matter the weird stuff that it does and believes. They want to believe that their religion is the standard way of being an American. Because literalist belief in Christianity makes no sense otherwise. Christian nationalists cannot abide the idea that Christianity is a system of mere metaphors. No, they, they believe that the stories of the Bible are literal historical truths. They believe that things like demons and invisible spirits and magical powers and resurrections of the dead really exist. That's what Christian nationalists believe, but not all Christians believe that. Christian nationalism is all about that. The unreality of such supernatural absurdities is clear to most people. Well, to most people except those who live in communities where most people are Christian and most people, including the trusted adult authorities, regularly profess belief in all manner of absurd magical powers and spirits. As if there's no question that these things are literally true. Here's what happens, though. When you point out that that's weird, because it is kind of weird, the spell is broken when non-Christians show up and point out that nobody ever really sees demons or angels and prayers appear not to be a really effective manner of changing reality. Note what all of these Christian nationalists are doing. They're not praying their way to power. They're engaging in earthly acts of power. These non-Christians who show up and point this out they play a role similar to the child in the parable of the emperor's new clothes, observing the clear reality that the emperor is stark naked and not in fact wearing the fine suit of clothes that everyone else is busy praising. Christian nationalists are doing everything they can to undermine America's system of secular constitutional law because their literalist form of religion cannot withstand skeptical examination. The maintenance of Christian power requires the maintenance of belief in Christian normativity. So, Christian nationalism desperately seeks to use the power of government to force people to participate in prominent displays of Christian worship, as long as they can keep up the appearance that most people believe in the literal reality of Christian mythology, Christian nationalist leaders can maintain their power to distort reality, a power that is quite appealing to unscrupulous politicians like Donald Trump. For those Americans who seek to resist the growing power of Christian nationalism, Undermining this central ideological tenet of Christian normativity is essential. We need to be like the child in the story of the emperor's new clothes. 
although some people might seek to silence us in order to avoid the public exposure of a rather embarrassing truth, we need to speak up. We need to say what we see, and we need to do it loudly. When a member of Congress introduces legislation to create a year-long official government Christian ritual of public humiliation, we should not remain silent about it. When mainstream journalists observe the cultural taboo against pointing out the bizarre nature of Christian nationalist activities, we should not follow their lead. We need to say what they are not willing to say. It's obvious once we point it out. When the lieutenant governor of Texas suggests that the Democratic Party is in league with evil spirits, evil spirits, what he's saying may be normal within Christian nationalist social circles, but in the context of broader American society, he is being really weird. Christians have the right to believe weird things if they want to. Nobody should seek to prohibit beliefs simply because they're strange, because to do that would be to legislate normality. And that's exactly the kind of authoritarian extremism that Christian nationalism pursues. The problem comes when Christian nationalists demand that everybody in America follow along with their absurdities. Like the courtiers of that foolish emperor, they seek to impose their bizarre reality on everybody else because they don't want to be laughed at. Well, respect for the right of people to hold religious beliefs is not the same thing as the right to never have your religious beliefs questioned. Christian nationalists want to be able to walk around loudly casting magical prayer spells, talking about the demons who are out to get them, and forecasting the imminent end of the world, and still be taken seriously. I don't think that should happen. Our activism needs to begin by being honest. We need to begin to say the uncomfortable truth that believing in invisible spirits resurrected leaders from thousands of years ago and powerful people who have wings growing out of their backs is kind of weird. It's not enough to just point this out among friends, whispering about it in private, where we know that the Christian nationalists are not listening and won't be offended. Christian nationalism is seeking to use the power of government to warp reality to such an extent that belief in witches and the practice of public humiliation rituals are accepted as normal, as the definition of normal. The Christian nationalists are not just minding their own business. They're trying to control all our lives and take our liberties away. So I know it's going to be perceived as rude, but this is not the time to politely allow Christian nationalist militias to go marching down Main Street without making an objection. So write about it. In print, online, put your voice on the record where people can find it. Nobody else is going to speak up for you. We need to speak this truth. 
Christian nationalism is abnormal. In response, our activism to stop Christian nationalism is going to have to become a normal part of our routine. Along those lines, the Stop Christian Nationalism podcast is going to be back next week with yet more news about Christian nationalist attacks against American democracy and more ideas about what you can do to join the resistance. Come back a week from now because we have a lot to talk about.